Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. As we start tonight, our topic is power. And I want to give you some devotional ideas that can be encouraging this side of the cross. As you think about the last two sermons that we have had, Jesus calming the storm, in that particular account, the Greek said that there was a mega storm that had a mega calm. And those were the strongest words that could be used to talk about how violent the storm was and how calm the sea was afterwards. And the the idea of mega calm is as still as the top of your table. So from violent waves to that still in just seconds. It's pretty amazing. For the demoniac that came out, you'll notice that he was unclean. He lived in the tombs and he cut himself and he had chains that he broke and he lived among the dead. And Jesus came and he healed him. And it says that he was in his right mind and sent the demons away into unclean pigs and the man was clean and whole instantaneously. Those are pretty incredible remarks about who Jesus is. And we talked about those from an analogy or an allegory about how we have our storms in life and about how we have our own challenges as well. And what I want for you to think about is the way in which God might work in your life by way of an analogy. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn to it, Exodus chapter 14, which I didn't put on here, is where I'd like to start. I had a brainstorm after I put all this together, and I want to start with this. I want to give you a couple of pictures of God's power and use that for our lives. Because you and I would really like for God to work in a particular way But he's generally not going to do it the way that we would like. And in Exodus chapter 14, when the nation of Israel was getting ready to cross the Red Sea, they were terrified that Pharaoh's army was coming down upon them. And the way in which the nation of Israel watched God's wonders is the way that we would like to watch God's wonders. So take a look at this, uh, starting in verse 11, Exodus chapter 14, 11. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord uh, that he will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And then he goes on and talks about what will happen. So here's what's going on. The nation of Israel is panicking because they are totally defenseless. And they're in this moment of faith crisis. Did God bring us out into the desert to die? And you and I reach those faith, faith crises because we have expectations of God, don't we? And there are times that he doesn't meet those expectations. And we, we are beginning to worry or tremble or wonder or maybe even have a sense of panic. And what we really want is this story right here. At least I do. And if you're like me, you can stand up and go, oh, yes, that's what I want. I just want God to move, to create the way, to give me the letter, to, to have the path, and then I will just cross over into what I need to do. And he did all the work. 
And so Moses raised her hands, the wind came, spread out the, the Red Sea. Uh, scholars think that it was probably a mile wide so that everybody and all the animals could cross over the night. That's really pretty amazing. What's really interesting is he only did that once, which means he's probably not going to do that an awful lot, even in our lives. But that's, that's what I would want. So when we're talking about power, one of the things I want you to do is check your expectation at the door. And I want you to ask yourself, do you think that God would do something like that all the time for you? And my answer is, I really want him to, but I don't really think he's going to operate quite like that. Okay, so flip on over then to Joshua, and let's talk about the other crossing that's going on, crossing the Jordan. In Joshua uh, chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as all the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. This is interesting because this is what God is probably going to call us to do. What he said to the nation of Israel is, I want you to get your priests and I want you to get them in their full regalia. And I want them to get the Ark of the Covenant and I want them to walk right into the Jordan River. You have got to be kidding me. You want me to go exactly where I am afraid of going? Yes. And I will act. Really? Really? You want me to obey you, and in the process of obeying, while I am scared stiff, and in this case think I'm going to die, you will come in and you will do something. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. That's mostly our story. You and I are called to do things that are going to be super hard for us. And we get moving in that motion, and like the priests, I want you to be the first priest on the edge, uh, on the end of the Ark of the Covenant. If you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you die. And if you walk into a flooded river, you die. Because if you know anything about a flooded river, it cuts a new bottom, it's all full of debris, it's, it's totally unsafe. And he said, I want you to go that way, right to the river. So be that first priest. And you're walking to the river. And the question is, at what point does God act? And so you're walking toward the river, and you're walking toward the river, and I can see the two front guys, because they're like me. They'll stop. And they're like 10 feet away, and nothing is happening. And they walk a little bit more, like two more steps. Nothing is happening. They're getting slower and slower till they get to the river, right? Because they're just going to be wise. They're like, okay, this is a faith moment. When did the waters part? The record says, when the water touched the hem of the garment of the priest. Corey Ten Boom said, God does not ever show up on time, but he's never late. It's one of my favorite sayings. He never shows up on time, but he's never late. It's not my time, it's his time. And so he says, I want you to follow me and I want you to go this way. And I know it's scaring you. But in the process of following him, we call that obedience and we call that taking these faith steps. At the right time, he will act. He always does. This is our story. We want him to act when we feel safe. We can just see it right in front of us. When you look at the power of God, here is the first devotional thought that I want to give you so that you can have it. It comes through following him, not doing it our way. Ouch. So no matter where you are, this is really a faith journey. This is why we're a community. This is why we encourage each other is to say, these are hard steps for us to take. And you might be asked to take a hard step very much like those first priests, where it's something that you're afraid of. And yet you know that God wants you to do it. This is the allegory for you. 
is that he will act, but he will act mostly like those first priests. So my first question for you is, what do you need him to do? And I want you to hold on to that. Because when we get to the end of the class, I want to talk to you about some ways that you can move toward him so that you can begin seeing him in your life. So let's take a look on the handout. Based upon Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, the very first statement that I put up there is, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If you are getting beaten up by something, an attitude that you have, or a behavior, or a frustration, I came from a really angry family, and anger used to really beat me up. Or I would come from a family where you would always assume the worst about what was going on, and and pretty soon you were having a lot of conflict. If there is something that is happening to you, what I want you to know is that God is greater than any of those other elements, and he wants to enter into our world in order to bring us the kind of abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he said that he wants for us to have. That's what he wants to do, is to magnify his presence and his ability so that people look at you and say, how did you do that? I know that you were really angry. How did you do that? I know that this was really hard for you. How how did you turn out the way you did? Because you and I are all God's trophies of grace. And he works in you, not only for your betterment, like Romans 8, 28, but so that he can show off. Isn't that amazing? So the next time that you're asked to do something or you're put in an impossible situation, you have to cross the Jordan River and you're moving there and you're afraid. What you need to know is that God is ready to to display something amazing in your life that is also amazing about him. This is why James said rejoice in trials. When it's hard, God shows up. But remember Corey Ten Boom, he doesn't show up on our time frame. He shows up in just the nick of time. And that's important to understand about power because we're going to walk away from him if he doesn't do what we want him to do, right? I mean, how many people have done that? I prayed and he didn't do anything. Well, he didn't wait. It was my time, not his time. And I think that's really important to understand about power is that God is doing something in us and in people around us. And we are saying to him, I will trust you and I will take one more step toward the Jordan. I'll take one more step toward the attitude I need to have. I'll take one more step to the lifestyle that you're calling me to. I'll take one more. Please don't be surprised if that step is hard for you and there is no action of God. Please don't be surprised. Come back to this community and say, I'm hurting because I really am expecting him to do something and he's quiet. Imagine those priests. We're all in this together. We all have stories, right? Many of us have stories about God acting eventually, but he doesn't act on our time frame. So that's what I want you to know. And what I also want you to see is that he is not afraid of anything in your life. Nothing. You can go to him about everything and he will show you what you need to do. And this whole idea about evil forces and standing against us, what I want to do is encourage you that the scripture simply says this, he who is in you is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is greater than anything you will ever face, greater than any adversary, even greater than yourself. And we lean into our relationship with him for wisdom and strength and rely on each other. There is nothing that is so severe that we cannot, with his presence, find a way through it even if it is very, very, very hard. And we have those stories in here. We know that. I just want to encourage you with that. Um, As you look at power now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, I've I've written it out here for you. You're welcome to look at it on this sheet, um, or you can read it in your own Bible. But 
I landed here because there's something really amazing in this passage that I want to give to you about God. Something that I think is really, really important for us as we take a look at wanting to live lives that God is calling us to that we're not always sure we can do. Attitudes, responses, disciplines, those kinds of things. So uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, I'm just going to read it off the sheet here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's pretty intimidating, isn't it? That's our struggle. My struggle is not against you if we're in conflict. My struggle is against evil who is affecting us. You're not my enemy. People are not my enemy. But there's something else that's here that's very, very powerful. And that's important for us to recognize. Verse 13. Therefore, now because that is all true, put on the full armor of God so that that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with, the, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which you can, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The power that is in this passage is what I want to really pull out for you. And it starts at the very beginning where it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. I've listed out some of that below. And let me just give this to you devotionally. The Christians were given this who lived in Ephesus where one of the seven wonders of the world existed. It was the temple of Dianus. And this was one of the most marvelous pagan temples ever with lots and lots and lots of worship. Imagine that you're a Christian going by and you're being persecuted and you see this magnificent temple and it's like we're totally powerless. And you have all of this Roman power and you have all of this pagan power. And Paul is writing to say there's something here that I don't want you to miss. So when you feel like evil is rearing its ugly head or you're afraid about something in our lives or you're concerned about the direction that our country or our communities are taking, there is somebody more powerful that we want to connect with and connect with him in such a way that he helps us to be the right kind of people no matter the stress that we are under. That's what he's writing about here. Be the right people no matter the stress that you are under. Don't give up your identity. To be like everybody else who panics, everybody else who screams and yells on Facebook, everybody else that acts in ugly ways and makes the other person the enemy, don't do that. Instead, remember whose child you are and then dress yourself. Remember whose child you are and dress yourself. Be in your right mind. Rest in the power and the presence of the Lord. So when we look at this, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. The Greek word for strong has to do with being empowered by the Spirit or by Christ. Those are used interchangeably. So here's, here's what I want you to know. God wants to hand you units of strength. Those units of strength are like manna. They're used up and you need more. It's very important. When you have your personal devotional life, he's handing you units of power. He's handing you the opportunity to have the spiritual strength that you need. When you pray for wisdom, he hands you units of wisdom and then they're expended. They don't stay with us. Have you noticed that? When we don't soak ourselves in the word of God, when we remove ourselves from a community, we actually deteriorate as Christian people because we're starving to death. 
God's presence is with us, always with us, and the Spirit is with us, but the nutrition that He has given to us, the way He wants us to access that is through our relationship with Him, and He gives us units of power. So I want to encourage you to get those units of power. The more severe the situation, the more emotional it is for you, the more devastating it is, you need more spiritual calories instead of less. More, not less. And so what I want for you to see here is that God wants to hand to you the spiritual power that you need to face what you need to face. And some days that is just a moment by moment, isn't it? And then it's gone. If you're like me, you get impatient because you're like, why does this have to be so hard? It's because he needs to be so great. And I'm way more dependent on him than I want to admit. That's why. Because I'm using up energy and he's handing it off to me. And I want for this class to be a way for you to get that. To grow, to develop, to understand how that works for you. How do you get the energy from God, the power, the empowerment to be his man, his woman, his person, no matter what the life circumstances are that you face. And when you don't make it, you learn how to stand up, dust yourself off, and get going again. Because we have those moments too. So that's this first word, power. And then he talks about the mighty power. This was the New International Version. He calls it the strength of his might. The strength of his might. Um, this has to do with the idea, and I want to take you to a bulldozer or a great big um, earth mover. When that bulldozer or that earth mover is off, that is strength, but it is not being used. So it has power within it, but it is not moving forward. And so what this verse is talking about is that inside of God resides that power. And the word might is that movement. It is the application of that power in the world. And so what Paul did is he took these two concepts and he said, you're dealing with somebody incredibly amazing. Which is why Jesus said to the disciples in the boat, O ye of little faith. That word has to do with being coward. You're being cowards. Don't you know who I am? The power was there, but it was not being shown, right? That scared them. Come on, Jesus, wake up, wake up. If you're supposed to do something, show us the might. We know that you can do this. So one of the things that I really want for you to think about as you are looking at God's ability in your life is can you rest in the fact that he does have the power and you're waiting for him to act? He does have the power, but you're waiting for him to act. And those two things come together. Rest in his mighty power. Because what comes up next really wears me out. What Paul writes after that is he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Oh, and I'm sorry. Um, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word schemes has really caused me to stop and think. Because the Greek word, I'm kind of a Greek geek and a Hebrew geek. The Greek word is methodia. Does that sound like a word you know? Methodia, methods. And what this is talking about is that Satan has an unending ability to use various methods to wear you out. To wear you out. I don't know about you. I, I don't want to. I'm not about making political statements or anything. I watch the evening news sometimes and I get worn out. Do you? I mean, I'm reading what's going on in the world and I get worn out. I just, I, I just can feel the energy draining from me. And I'm like, oh, Lord, can't we do something in order to make this a better place? 
or school shootings that have just happened. It just, it takes, takes my breath away, not again. Okay, so that those kinds of things happen. Those are schemes. Those are elements of evil that are in the world. And the actual idea is wave upon wave upon wave upon wave. You know why you need manna? Is because you're always fighting against the waves. There's something that is coming against you on a regular basis. That's what this is talking about. I don't know if you ever felt that. Like your whole day went completely wrong and no matter what, you just could not get ahead of it. And it was like, what is going on? And I just feel that I'm so behind on everything. This is a devil's scheme. And here's what I want you to know, is even if your day's going really well, the waves are still hitting you. And you can be worn down because you could accidentally think that you're stronger than what you really are. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where things have been going really well and you don't have that devotional time and then all of a sudden something completely falls apart on you. Those are the devil's schemes. He's very sneaky. And as you see on here, he has an incalculable variety by which to get us. That bothers me. (laughs) The power of God in my life, the manna that I choose to eat, the, the studies that I have, the fellowship that I have, all are access to the power units that I need in order to live within the wave current that I am involved in. And he will accelerate that for us when we need it, which is really pretty exciting. I love this passage of scripture. And then he says, get dressed. We were not gonna spend a lot of time about that, but then go ahead and get dressed. We can maybe talk about some of that later. So what he's saying here is that there is this real power that is accessible to us. What I'd like to do is just kind of give you some time to talk um, about what you're hearing and a little bit about the text. And um, I would like for you, if you have any questions about uh, the sermon text, which is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, if you were here, I'd like you to jot some of those down. This is a power text. This is the amazing, miraculous, very cool power of Jesus overcoming darkness and, and freeing us. And there's a lot that's in here that you might have some questions about, and I'm more than happy for you to write some of those down, and if I can answer some of those, I would certainly like to do that. But I'd also like to give you a little bit of chance to talk in your groups about, well, what are you hearing about this spiritual power? What do you like about this? What might be hard about it? And what in the text, um, how do you see this kind of lived out in the texts that we have from the last two uh, sermon series, so last two Sundays? So I'm going to give you a little bit of time to talk about that. If you have questions and you don't know what I'm asking, raise your hand. That does happen. Please don't worry about that and go, well, now what do you want us to talk about? I like to ask very broad questions so you get a lot of freedom to answer it any way you want to. Um, so take a look about the power that we're talking about. What do you like about it? What questions might you have about it? Talk about the texts from the last two sermon series, especially or the last two sermons, especially this last one. And um, I just want you to process that a little bit and I'll pull you back here with another little warning in probably about 10-ish or so minutes. It's about 20 minutes or so. 17 minutes after, according to my watch. So I'll give you some time to talk about that, and I'll see how you're doing. Go ahead. What I would like to do is take you back to the passage in Mark, uh, starting in verse 1, and I'd like to read it one more time with you. And here's what I would like for you to do, is I would like for you to observe the power of Christ as we have looked at it within this passage. Because as I looked at this, to think about bringing you some of the devotional thoughts, I put Jesus full of that special power, Kratos, is present. 
that there is a power that only Jesus has. I forgot to mention that a little bit earlier in that Ephesians passage. And this power is only given, is, is only God's power. But in the fall of man, Satan got the power of death as Kratos. And when Jesus died, he broke that power over Satan so that Satan now has no power. So here's one of the things that I want for you to think about for us as you're thinking about your own story is so often we give in because we think we have to or because we have. Now, this power that we're going to be looking at now is that this man was demon possessed and Jesus cast out the demons. And for him to stay free from that, he would need to continue to lean into the Lord. And you and I, to be free from anything that has bound us, we would need to lean into the Lord on a regular basis because we were encultured. Our minds were affected to think that we should behave a certain way. So I'd love for you, I put the word mercy up here, which we'll talk about a little bit. I would love for us to be merciful with people who are in the transformation process because they are so used to acting a certain way that they could actually act that way on purpose and not really intend to until they can actually have that changed. So when you're working with somebody who is really struggling, one of the questions that I would like for you to ask is, how can I help you to keep moving toward Christ to learn a new way? Rather than, I can't believe that you did that over and over and over and over again. Who's going to be in the corner for the hurt, wounded person to help that person move forward? And so when you're looking at this idea of power, sometimes the power that we give evil is actually in our own mind to think we have to do it. Or we've always done it that way. Or my family has always acted this way. And I'm totally powerless. This is just what we do in our family. Uh, No, no, actually that power has been broken. But we might not know how to live in that power. That's where we come in as an amazing church that believes that God frees people and helps them to move forward and learn what are those steps of living in power. So what I want to suggest to you is this demoniac needed to learn that afterwards. He was free. Now he needed to learn how to live like a free person, not like a person in the tombs. Imagine that transition. That had to be incredible. No job. Had to go back and find his family, probably. Had his reputation that he had to go back and repair. He had to live his life in a whole different way. And we have each other to be able to accomplish that. Let's take a look at this passage in Mark chapter 5. I have the New International Version here, which is the version um, that was used on Sunday. Uh, chapter, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, uh, or the Gadarenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Then he saw Jesus from a distance. He saw the Kratos. He saw the power of God. He saw something from the distance in Jesus. He knew who he was. And he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, What in the world are you doing here? That's really what that means. It is, it is a derogative kind of a statement. It's an idiom. What do, you, what do you have to do with me? What in the world are you doing here? I mean, these are demons talking to Jesus this way. Imagine how they'll talk to you. I mean, imagine the thoughts you can have. Imagine the way that you could process. If evil will talk this way to God in a disrespectful tone, imagine how evil can treat us. 
Because there is spiritual warfare all the way around us. The ugliness that comes out of other people. And they said, what, what do you want with me? What are you doing here? Jesus, son of the most high God. Swear to God, promise me. That's really kind of interesting, isn't it? Does God lie? Promise me. Make sure that you, I am going to ask you to do something for me and you promise me. That's what this section is talking about. The demons are asking Jesus to make a promise. Which is really kind of fascinating. It says, swear to God that you won't torture me. You heard from the stage that this was sending them to their eternal punishment early. That's what, that's what they were afraid of. We don't know an awful lot about that. Um, other than Satan's going to get his comeuppance in the end, and they could have gotten theirs right then. Uh, verse 8, for Jesus had said to them, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? You'll notice that the demons did not obey Jesus right away. I find that to be really interesting. They were like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I'm having a conversation with you. Uh, was Jesus serious, or was he just joking around? I mean, these are some of the hard questions. I look at that passage, and I go, this is really a power passage. I don't understand that, but I want you to see Satan will stubbornly hold on. Evil will stubbornly hold on to your life. You try to get rid of something, and it's like boomerangs back on you. It does not want to go. So please, don't get overly distracted and discouraged if you're trying to change something, and it's hard. Because when you push on darkness, darkness pushes back. When you say, get out of here, they go, mm, 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 I don't think so. I don't want to go. And if they go, they might, they, if, if evil leaves you in the sense of bad habits and wanting to do some things, what, what I want you to think about is that those bad habits could easily come back. Christians cannot be demon-possessed, but we can certainly have a lot of bad habits, can't we? Try to get rid of those, and they can boomerang right back on us. So what you're looking at here is the stubbornness of evil, even in our own lives. I don't want you to be uh, deceived by that. Jesus said, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. The evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Oh, yes, they were. Imagine that scene. Just imagine that. Have have you ever known somebody that has been so transformed by Jesus you didn't actually believe it was true? Do you know that? It's like, really? You? You? How in the world did this happen to you? You, this person that I know, you actually had that happen to you? And I'm supposed to believe that? No way. That's what these guys were doing. But when they saw that this man was in his right mind and clothed, cleaned up in some way, they were terrified because they knew who this guy was. Jesus was not afraid of anybody. And remember, if we fear Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of anything either. This is really interesting that you don't have to be afraid of your neighbors, people you work with, people that might not be treating you really well, what we are supposed to do is pray for them, minister with them, and really count on God to do some amazing work. And this shows that people can really be freed. I love this passage. People really can be freed. And you might have that same kind of freedom story yourself. Uh, Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the 
to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. He was a big threat for lots of reasons. Was he going to do this again? We could lose some more pigs. Jesus was a big threat. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I love that passage. How he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The Decapolis was a region of 10 cities that were on the eastern side of the Galilee, this big region, and he just moved around and told people. Obviously, he had a reputation. Go and tell people about how God has been merciful for you. So I put the word mercy up here, and what it really means is all the qualities and ability of God put into action on our behalf all of them. This is actually one of the highest qualities of God, and it matches loving kindness in the Old Testament. You and I think um, about love, that the love of God is his highest attribute, and um, several theologians would say, actually, love is a part of mercy, and mercy is all your resources. It's your heart. It's everything about you that is moving on behalf of the other person. Go and tell how God is restoring you socially to this demoniac how he's going to restore you economically, now you can work. How he's going to restore you so that you don't have to live among the tombs anymore. How God's going to completely give you, I call it, give you your life back. Go and tell people how he's going to give you your life back. That's incredible. That is the mercy of God. He's going to give us our life back. So here's something that I want for you to think about. God has a plan an understanding, a concept of what our lives are supposed to be like. And he's constantly moving us to that plan. And so when we have conflict in our relationships, he's moving us through that conflict to, to better relationships. When, when there is stress, he's moving us through that stress to show us how we can be at peace when we're in hard times. He has this plan for us, this powerful plan that he wants to have us live out. This is the mercy of God in our lives. This is the mercy of God. And I hope that from this passage, you can actually say, I can see the mercy of God in this way in my life, because that's what draws you back to him for power. If you believe that God will be merciful to you, you will ask him to act. But if you're angry and you raise your fist to him, you probably won't, because the condition of your heart and the ability for you to see the goodness of God opens up your heart to let him work in your life. And so we might have to work through some things first, but here's what I want for you to see, is Jesus picked probably the highest quality of God and said, go and tell about the mercy of God. And I would like for you to be in touch with that. For your own self, what is the mercy of God like for you, especially on the days that are harder, the days that the waves come, the days that you're told to walk to the Jordan and you're not really sure you wanna go there? The days that God is challenging you in his word and you're looking at that going, oh, I just don't know. Go to the mercy of God. Go and see what he has done for you and see that he will keep doing that and and meeting you in your need to help you to grow. Um, Mark said several things about pigs, so I couldn't resist. Uh, when When you look at the idea of pigs, there were some other things, and he can't say everything, of course, on here. Um, but I wrote this out. Uh, many options, of course, have been given. And one of the ones that I, I liked was the idea of uncleanliness. 
And I would just hand that to you. The Jews had ceremonial cleanliness, and it had to do with your social standing and your ability to go to the temple and to worship God and to be an upstanding member of society. And um, whether this man was a Jew or not, some people have speculated maybe, um, this man obviously was an outcast and disenfranchised, an outcast of society disenfranchised. And what Jesus is doing is he's looking at that, and he is saying, I am going to put you back in to society. There was no social net at all. There was no food stamp program. There was no aid society back here. This man was probably starving to death in the tombs. He could have been, unless somebody came to feed him. He was in dire straits. He was unclean. He probably had sores on him that had festered and were infected. I mean, this man would be the guy that you wouldn't want to see even on a good day from across the room because of who he was. And Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to make you clean and whole again. And so he went from unclean to clean. And there is this line of unclean, and and our English Bibles don't carry that all the time. They were unclean spirits in an unclean man who were cast out into unclean animals. Unclean. There's a line of unclean to simply say that God is cleansing. The, the idea is God is cleansing, not that pigs are so bad and God is destroying an economy, but there is this idea of cleansing that's going on, that's actually happening. Some people believe that maybe these were Jewish farmers and uh, they didn't need to be doing pigs. I read that once and I thought, that's kind of interesting. I don't really know what I think about that, but I've heard that one presented also. And uh, Mark used the idea that um, this was really symbolic of God removing barriers. You know, the pigs were removed and barriers are going to be removed to the Gentiles, which was really kind of interesting too. What I can tell you is nobody really knows why the pigs. Maybe they're just there and convenient. But I think these are kind of interesting as you look at the character of God and we just look at this more from an, an allegory to say, what is God up to in this passage in showing off his power? And what I want for you to see is that in the end, you have this person who is in his right mind who can go back to being a part of the social fabric. That's redemption, brothers and sisters. That's the business we're all about. People in their right mind able to live their lives, which is really very, very exciting for me. So how do we tap into this power? Uh, Page number three um, has for you another little verse, and we're not gonna get to everything today uh, on this introduction, but I wanna talk a little bit about this. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and for Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Some, some notes on here. The reason that I picked it, it's a power passage again. Uh, verse 16 is glorious riches. This is the riches of his glory or the riches of his splendor. It means that God is going to reach into all of the amazing ability that he has. And he is going to hand us what we need. It sounds a lot like mercy, doesn't it? God's heart is going to move toward mercy, in, in mercy toward you when you go for manna from him. 
So when you're frustrated or you're facing a challenge or you're out of patience with your kids or you're wondering what in the world is going on in my life and you approach God, God is going to reach into the storehouse, this is the word picture, and he's going to hand you what you need out of his endless supply and he's doing that out of mercy and he's going to pick exactly what you need, which is really pretty exciting. He's going to pick what you need. And that's what this passage is talking about, is that God is going to pick from his glorious riches. This idea of power in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. This should be no surprise to you as we close out this class. The word means to be fully able to accomplish a task or to be strong enough to do something. Let's be honest. Sometimes we only need enough strength to take one more step, but we're afraid of that step. Sometimes we're afraid to make a phone call or to go see somebody that we know we need to. We we just are. We're just not sure what's going to happen. And when we have that conviction, God is going to give us enough so that we can get that done and see what happens as we follow him. That's what this passage is talking about. Enough. You will have enough. You're not going to have an abundance. Remember what manna did if you gathered it up and you saved it for the next day? Remember what happened to that? Stunk to high heaven and didn't work at all. And what God is saying to you is, I'm going to give you what you need. And we're going to have this relationship where you talk to me and I talk to you and we work this thing out and I'm going to help you so that you know that I'm real and I'm alive and I am giving you mercy, giving you what you need to accomplish what you need to do in your life. Uh, The purpose of the power that you see in this is that Christ will dwell in you in your inmost point, your heart. The heart is the center of the person in the Hebrew mindset. And here's what I want you to know. You are in a class that intends to help you to get connected to Jesus so he can live deep inside of you. And by that, I mean you can actually interact with him through prayer, through his word, in such a way is that you feel that you are moving toward him and you can see him work in your life and that he can fill you up for the task at hand, which is where this whole thing is going, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God so that you can actually display an ability of patience. You can actually display that you really do love and care about somebody, even when it might be difficult, where you can be the first one to apologize, not the last one. You can be the first one to go the extra mile because God's gonna give you the energy and you know, I wish I could be that person. But you know, Bucklands, we're not that way. We're just not that way. Oh no, but Jesus is that way. Yeah, I know, but I'm not Jesus. Yeah, that's not Jesus in my heart. And what we do is we, we bear and carry a lot of burdens. And what God is saying is, I just want you to take your next step to your Jordan. When you get to your Jordan, you'll find a way. I know you're scared. I know you're uncertain. I know you don't know. But I want Jesus there with you. I want that, that amazing ability so that you can take your next step. Uh, this last part here, filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I've thought a lot about this. Because for lots and lots of years, I really felt that my life was empty, that I could only go so far. And then there was kind of this longing. I don't know if you've ever felt that. It's like, I really wanted more. I really wanted to see more. And this is what, I've studied this out. And and here's the way that I resolved it. I just want to hand it to you in case you're thinking, I feel like I'm on the outs. I don't feel very full at all. And I'm trying to do all the right things. I I like to think of this as um, our capacity for God. And I don't really understand how this works, but this is what I've noticed in my own life. There are times in my life where my capacity for God seems to be smaller because of what I'm dealing with. 
And as I go through some of the Bible studies, and as I go through my devotional life, and as I interact with people and ask for them to pray for me, my capacity grows. And when my capacity grows, I have a greater sense of well-being. I have a greater sense that that God is with me in that way. And I want you to think of your capacity as, as shrinking or expanding. And that God can fill that all the way up. But if it's as big as my thumb, that's not very big for a life. And if it gets larger, then you can actually sense the presence of God more. So I went around to some of my friends and I said, I need you to pray that I can really be filled up with God. I don't really know what that means, but I know when I have it. You know when you have it? When you feel contented and you feel connected and you feel like God and you are actually interacting in some way and I would just chase after that. And as time went on, what I found was my capacity grew, which simply meant I think I turned more and more of my life over to him. Turned more and more of my life over and actually prayed a lot about my life. And what I found was my capacity to be filled actually grew. But here's the catch. My receptacle of God has a trap door on it. I don't know if yours does. And what that means is I can just be minding my business and going through my day and something can happen to me and it could surprise me. And all of a sudden, it all kind of goes up and what's left is me. My frustration, my apprehensions, my way of doing things. Has that ever happened to you? Where things are going fine, then just Well, right at that particular moment in time, I need more manna. I need to be more filled up. I need to recognize that I'm vulnerable. And that's where I need to say, Lord, I need, I need you to keep filling me. I need you to keep interacting with me. I'm very vulnerable right now, and I can actually do something, say something that I would regret. Because for some reason, I, I don't feel close. I, I feel emptied. I feel separated. I feel something has happened to me. Remember evil and the waves that come on us every single day? I don't know how all that works. I just know I have a trap door. And I could be having an okay day, and all of a sudden, I could feel my term for it is yucky. And feel bad in some way. And what God wants to do is fill that back up. So when that happens, we have to go right back to manna, to our source of mercy. So here's what I'd like to do. Oh, it's like 10 till, so we're going to have a time to just visit. Um, the rest of this, we're going to go over at some point in time, pages four, five, six, and seven. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, four, five, six, and seven are for you to take home. And we're going to go over this. Let me just introduce this to you. The way in which we connect to God has a lot to do with the quality of our relationship with him. And throughout the history of the church, uh, there are ways that have been tried and true that allow for us to connect with God faster. And this idea of silence and solitude is simply being still and focusing in on God. That's what I want for you to see. It's just being still and focusing in on God and taking those moments to really focus on him. It means quieting yourself and focusing in on God. When we often think of silence and solitude, we think of sitting in a chair doing nothing but like praying and then we all fall asleep. That's not what it is. And I want, I want to explore that with you a little bit. You can read through some of this. And then the second one is what's called the Lectio Divina. If you've been in some of my, I know some of you have been in one of my classes that I've done some of this. Lectio Divina is devotional reading. It's a way that you can read the scripture and ask for God to highlight different parts of the scripture that are meaningful for you so that you can take something out of it and be led by the scripture to actually take a truth and put it into your life. And you're welcome to play with that a little bit over the next week. We'll do that in our tables uh, probably next week. We'll start with that and I'll show you a little bit about how to do that. But as I promised you, we're gonna end. It's about 10 till. And I want you to talk about something that has caught your attention tonight 
or something you want to do this week? After listening to this, is there something that you're saying, I, I, I want to put this into practice or I just want for you guys to pray for me because I've got a rough week and I just really need to have the power of God in my life. You can be as general or as specific as you would like to be. Uh, it's 10 till 8 and we're going to go till 8. I'll call time at 8 so that you'll know that it's 8. You're welcome to stay and still chat with each other. Uh, but I'd like for you to just say, this is what I want to take from here. This is what I want to remember this week or this is what I want to do. It's, it's up to you. And I'd like for you to just share that, talk out loud just a little bit and say, this really caught my attention and this is what I want to do and be. So let, let me close with a word of prayer. And that way at eight o'clock when I call time, you're welcome to leave. You can go earlier if you need to. Thank you so much for being here. And um, let's just ask for the Lord to do some really amazing things in our lives as we lean into him. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his power, the power of the spirit. We thank you that we can read through these texts and we can see how Jesus is more powerful than anything else and that the spirit of Christ lives within us. Help for us, Lord, to lean into you, to take these ideas, to see the way the world works, but to also, Lord, learn how we can connect with you better and better and better so that we can get these units of power as we need them in whatever form Out of your mercy, you give them to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.